0: Hey, ladies and gentlemen, this is the current EO Grants Interest Rate Observer of the Air. I'm Jim Grant, and with me today we have a quorum. We have all manner of people in this room. Uh, Eric Whitehead at the control panel, as per usual, the great Evan Lorenz, Deputy Editor of Grants. We have uh, Fabiano Santin, who is First Vice President in charge of uh, miscellaneous analytical jobs. And we have Phil Grant, who edits almost daily grant. And besides these gentlemen of the masthead of grants, we have Donald G.M. Cox. I'm not going to read the entire bio because we do want to get into other topics besides Donald Cox's career. Uh, but that career contains such highlights as a long stint associated with including a turn at the editor's chair of National Review magazine, practicing lawyer, Canadian agricultural official, and an investor par excellence, an analyst, portfolio manager, stocks, bonds, I think principally your interests have been in commodities. Canadian, but uh, besides experience on Bay Street, there is Wall Street and now South you're in Chicago, right, Don?
1: That's right. I've been in Chicago since '93.
0: Is that for the weather or for the fiscal situation?
1: No, that's because the Bank of Montreal wanted me down here because they had some problems with the Harris Bank, which they've taken over. So I was the global portfolio strategist for the Bank of Montreal for two decades, but I was working out of Chicago.
0: Okay. So speaking of the weather, and some of us were only moments ago, would you kindly tell us your contrary, unfit for really public discussion owing to the climate of opinion, uh, your views on what might be happening with regard to climate change. Let's, let's begin, because I think that's a great way of getting into the agricultural and commodity situation. So will you give us the short form, your short form view on what might be happening to our climate that people perhaps have not been apprised of?
1: Well, if astronomers are correct, we have already seen the warm weather we're going to see for quite a while. And um, so first of all, you've got to understand that the sunspot cycle, which is uh, we've known about since the time of Galileo, we have we have absolute perfect evidence for just about every day since then as to how much activity there is on the surface of this. So uh, it happens that just after Galileo died uh, was a complete collapse in activity, which lasted 55-60 years, during which time sunspot disappeared. And the of the world of Europe and northern Asia, uh, something like a third of the population got wiped out. But when a lot of people most remember of their historians was British discovered jolts of skating uh, on the Thames River. Uh, and they learned that from the Dutch, which is the only thing that they were really grateful to the Dutch for killing them and so uh, this was a period of time where crops failed regularly year in year out that's why so many people died and uh, finally the sunspots came back and things became normal and the last century was the century where in particular the last decade of the last century was one of the most active for which we have records it was terrific and then this is this is kind of spooky three weeks into the new millennium and all of a sudden the sun starts to cool off. And uh, we now in the last couple of years have had the lowest sunspot activity in two centuries. So when you say, well, the climatologists won't agree with that, well, we didn't have climatologists a couple of centuries ago. We've always had, and one of the things astronomers learned pretty quickly in this when this discussion, was that if they were with the university and they said, well, we don't agree with what these climatologists are saying because of carbon dioxide, which is 0.3% of the air. Most of that is being by plants, which is one of the reasons we've been having more uh, production in agriculture. Um, But they found, they cited, well, wait a minute, we don't think this heat is going to last. Then they removed from the faculty because the new secular is um, on carbon dioxide. And so if you happen to have other religious faith that are willing to look at history, what you can say is good, for things being worse. So you may have noticed that uh, those of you who both read Barron's and followed other people that I talked to last year, and I was asked to give a forecast, and I said, well, we're gonna have a very, very cold winter this year, and I said this in January. Um, And they said, why? And I said, the sunspots just plain disappeared. Chicago set a 100-year record for cold winter, and other places on the Great Lakes came through the same way. Last year it didn't start until January. Well, we've already had one period of a week where we set a record for a week in uh, October uh, for cold weather, and once again, the almanac, which has always used data, is predicting a very cold winter. So, um, I my attitude is that it costs you to take sort of a, of a bet on this if you're investing in oil because. The biggest thing in the price of oil is not the ordinary figures on production, but on the fact that people are not prepared to take a long-term bet on the company now because they know that they've got all sorts of politicians who want to put them out of business. So um, this this cup brings, I think, one of those rare uh, investment opportunities where if you are prepared to take a bet against such people as the four advisors to the uh, Democratic Party, those four famous ladies who say we've got nine years before uh, all we gave is over for humanity. If you happen might be wrong, and that the astrologers who are reporting every day about the activity and having very only had now uh, a few handful of sunspots in the last 12 months. And remember, last time that happened, two centuries. Now the. And so it's not the sun. No, no, it's not the sun. It's cars and things like that. Well, uh, I, I'm aware of that. I know a couple I get into in, in talking about it, but my first love and study was history. And you go back in history, just to give you an illustration, they've been able to reconstruct sunspot. And the period from 1050 to 1200 was the most active sunspot activity in about a thousand years. It is also a bit of time where nearly all the the cathedrals of Europe were built. That was a time when agricultural activity was terrific, and people would go to their their mass and be, look, your crops are really good, we've been praying to God. Uh, With time, we would raise money to build a cathedral, and they got the money. Then that ended, and it ended with a series of storms, and things got worse, and then under those conditions, we got the Black Death, sorts of interesting things happen when this can change its activity. So um, one of the reasons why all of look at solar activity records, and so therefore you can't help it by saying, well, okay, um, it's still the same.
0: Now, Don, let me me interrupt to ask, uh, how can we verify. I can think of a million reasons that someone would say, well, uh, how do we know it's causation and not mere association? It's one thing this line of argument or objection would continue. It's one thing to identify the little ice age, but we we live in a world of daily mark-to- market. We are necessarily short-term oriented. We can't keep our clients who uh, are exposed to the ridicule of the world for believing in sunspots instead of carbon dioxide, is there not a short-term test of validity of this thesis? And what might that test be if it exists?
1: Well, I recommend if you go on online uh, and with uh, Google and other sources, just you can read all this stuff then for yourself because it's all recorded out there as there's most secrets about it. And then what you could say is that when you see those correlations, you might say, well, I take a small position now, and then if we start to get really brutal winter in February, you might add to the position, because remember, the amount of things being set aside for heating oil and so forth is being done according to the theory that it's going to be a red-hot spring and summer. And if that, so therefore, I'm saying that you say you're, you're seeing now that Billions and billions of dollars of capital is being uh, held at a low level because of the idea that it's gonna have a, a long, a short duration effect to it. It's not just short term earnings, but that they're gonna go out of business. In addition, you've had these people going around with the university pension funds telling them they have to sell the evil stocks. So you've had sales of the stocks, not because of the outlook and earnings, but because what they're doing is so if you think there's any reasonable chance of that changing, changing change in valuation would be dramatic. And we've got the cold weather sustained. So how do you, how do
0: you, how do you implement this idea, Don?
1: Well, I, in my own case, um, I simply go into the oil stocks that I like. I've followed them over the years. I, I, I simply, at this time, I'm aware of the fact that it's, they're not likely to go up. But it may, they may go up in a hurry if we have a really brutal spring and also, uh, nobody around there, it seemed, the, the Wall Street Journal came out with a special sub-offering uh, this week on energy, and the whole thing was just based around the morality of energy, as opposed to, could any of this be wrong? So, uh, it seems to me that this is, has to be close to the bottom, and remember that unlike other things that are close to the bottom, it can move very fast because you only have so much on hand at any one given time. And the amount of demand for it can also be affected by wars occurring. And uh, I'm not predicting necessarily wars, but I'm saying that's a possibility. But the big thing is, we are saying that the concept uh, that we will not need fuels 20 years from now is being embedded into the system, all by people who haven't got the faintest idea of history. So that's that's simply something, your own guess as to when you've taken long-term investments, you say, I disagree with the valuation of that asset class. Well,
0: John, let me me ask you this. So we have, um, as you argue the case, we have the potential for a dramatic uh, rally in oil and perhaps even natural gas, but certainly energy uh, generically is poised for some big upside move. High energy prices uh, tend to coincide with rising rates of inflation and we have simultaneously some of the lowest interest rates, indeed the lowest interest rates in millennia of uh, recorded interest rate history. So how does this play into financial assets apart from energy stocks?
1: Well, I think first of all that uh, it's going to coincide with the stock market sell-off because um, what, what you've got here is a situation where a really brutal winter produces also sorts of negative side effects. And um, It's, uh, I think, and then any rise, if we get take a move up to $90 or so forth in oil, which could happen very quickly, that will do a sell-off because we are now at your all-time record for the value of uh, oil stocks in the S&P, in other words, it's almost impossible to imagine them going lower, but if they rise 2% in that, it will come off a whole bunch of glamour stocks. So that's, I think, uh, again, if, you, if, if you've been sitting back and enjoying the tech stock in your portfolio all the time, uh, you might want to cut back a little bit on tech, particularly, or if they don't do anything now, if they've thought about this concept and then they start to see the bad weather come, then you'll still have a chance to do it. So it's, remember, we're talking about something that's 92 million miles away. That gives you some time, shall we say. But the big thing is, do you have a sense of respect for history? Or do you have respect for those who only discovered this concept as recently as 1990? And by the way, the woman who was on the, the committee that came up with the rules on this, the Indian woman who was on the when she stepped off the committee, she said, Uh, Well, the reason we came up with this was primarily to attack capitalism. Uh, She was a Marxist and she was the Indian representative. And this has, you'll notice that there's an almost nearly perfect inverse relationship between the kind of politics you had and what your attitude is to carbon energy. So this has been propaganda to a big big degree. And so I'm just, uh, I can only tell you you, you can read, by the way, there was a terrific story in The New Yorker uh, not long ago about that Maunder Minimum period, and they casually said, asked for why it was that the temperature dropped so much, and they said, well, some people said it was falling sunspot activity, but that was just a one-liner. But you no know,
0: other... It, 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 Don, tell us about the Maunder Minimum. What is it, and do we have one in our future?
1: Well, on the minimum was 1645 to 1715, and that's when the sunspots just as disappeared. During that time, there were only 50 recorded sunspots when, uh, if it had been normal, it would have been closer to 50,000 sunspots in that same period of time. All right? That's how the, cool. the beautiful thing is because Galileo covered them, and therefore we know what the sunspot activity has been. And so, therefore, got the records. That's one of the—this forecasting. And this Farmer's Almanac has always been so good because they know that they've got the record showing the correlation between what weather was here like here and sunspotting. Uh,
0: the Farmer's and Almanac has got a good forecasting record, doesn't it? What, what, what's it, the view on interest rates?
1: Well, again, with, with the uh, Farmer's Almanac, it's they use all sorts of factors in it. But when, yeah. when they suddenly see the sunspots become interesting, then they, they emphasize it. Okay.
0: so is sunspot activity more intense, less intense, or equal in intensity to periods we associate with bitter cold and with short crops, and uh, from time to time, uh, plague, famine, and uh, apocalypse?
1: Oh yeah, the current, the current sunspot activity, but we're only 12 years into it, but this is corresponding to some of the uh, coldest periods in the past. But, but
0: Don, you know, so, so much of this, so much of, of our, uh, you know, are amateur. Uh, I'm speaking now for us amateurs who certainly outnumber the experts in this field. But you know, in London last, uh, late last July, I had to be in London, and there was a, uh, there was a day when it was like 102 or something Fahrenheit, and uh, never before seen. People were wilting. And there was a positive hysteria about this being the crystallization of the case against fossil fuels, against everything that we identify with, actually with, with comfort in modern life. And people were, just, I think just as well as wilting, they were frightened by what might lay ahead. So you cite the Chicago winter of 2019 as in your, on your side, but uh, I dare say if there we were a Londoner on, on, on this call, he or she would say, you didn't see anything until you saw the summer of 2019 in London.
1: Okay, that, 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 it happens to be sitting in the Atlantic Ocean and the Gulf Stream. So naturally, the last place they're going to get a change in temperatures is out in the oceans. It's between the oceans where that, that you really get the effects first when you've got a big change coming. So, naturally, the Gulf Stream has been warmed up, which it has been. Yes, it has been. Then, by definition, those who are located in the Gulf Stream are going to get uh, above-average temperatures. But uh, that's those who live between the mountains, those who have to get their temperature done from land one. Stuff that's come first of all from one ocean over mountain, or either that, as we get in Chicago regularly. Okay.
0: Where self- okay. But let me let me let me, let me um, uh, press the case on on uh, energy and inflation and bond yields. Twelve trillion or so, Evan, is that right? Twelve trillion negative nominal yielding securities in the world. I yeah, that's
1: right. Last night, work Yeah.
0: So the owners of twelve trillion dollars worth of debt are so persuaded for the case against inflation in uh, their lifetime or beyond that they're willing to uh, lend money, you know, kind of foregoing interest and accepting a loss. That's the, the, the state of sentiment in the debt market. Uh, it's, it, it seems to constitute one of the greatest one-way bets against an early revival of inflation that anyone can imagine. It's all very well and good to be bullish on energy stocks, but this is a bigger consideration the biggest market, namely the debt markets? And could we not be looking at a huge reversal in fixed income prices and interest rates if inflation, higher energy prices, ergo perhaps inflation is in our immediate future?
1: Well, I'm afforded, uh, overweight in gold uh, stocks, uh, naturally for the last year, I've been, because the all those negative yield bonds are what they've done is take away what was the, the big, characteristic which always was negative for gold, which is that you didn't get any yield. And so since these masochistic Europeans are getting negative yields, uh, then they can just go out and buy gold coins and they're better off. And then if you add to that the possibility, whatever uh, the odds are, that we actually get cold weather and we get higher energy prices, you get paid twice.
0: Paid? Hey, I wouldn't mind getting paid once myself. <laughs> long-suffering gold position but um... yes
1: well it's uh, I've really added to my position here but I've added to the basis that I expect that what we're going to have is higher energy prices and we say well why is that with the gold well it's a sign that there could be inflation too so we could have two miracles occurring at once we could have cold weather as opposed to hot in the uh, in between the mount, uh, mountain ranges and we could have uh, a, a situation of rising
0: fuel prices. Well, Eric Whitehead is all in favor of cold weather, I He sometimes, yeah, it's, it's a fact that he can sometimes come to the office in Bermuda short in February, yeah. And, uh, you know, with grants, we try to let people express themselves the you way know, they want to. It's a little difficult sometimes with some of our employees. But uh, Eric is, is and, I, and I don't know about Evan and Fabiano and Phil, but I always root for blizzards. And I, I hope you were right. I mean, i um, <laughs> We need four distinct seasons, otherwise, we're living in San Francisco, right? Uh, um, now, um, I'll say this. You know, what this um, discussion about energy reminds me of a little bit of uh how to get your stuff through the mail with a minimum of effort and a maximum of efficiency. And I, this leads me to uh, SendPro Online from Pit and Post. Uh, with SendPro Online it's just a click, send, and save for as low as $4.99. That's $4.99, ladies and gentlemen, a month. Send envelopes, flats, packages uh, right from your desk and you are back in business in no time. So apart from being a current Yield listener, you'll receive a free 30-day trial to get started and a free 10-pound scale. Yeah, uh, the a, scale is a fairly heavy piece of machinery to ensure that you never overpay Save time and money on mailing and shipping with Sempro Online, starting at $4.99 a month, not $5, $4.99. You can also qualify for special USPS rates for letters and priority mail shipping, calculate exact postage online, print from your PC. So go to pb.com grantspod to access the special offer. It's a free 30-day trial, plus a free 10-pound scale to get started. That's pb.com grantspod. Experience shipping made simple. All right. And Eric, Fabiano, Phil, do you have any questions for Don?
1: Yeah, Don, it's Fabiano here. Would you talk a little bit about oil stocks, gold? What would be your advice for those who actually need some income today? Well, I think for those who actually need some income, the the big integrated gold companies are, sorry, those oil companies, you get dividends from them, and um, they will continue to pay those dividends. And so, yeah, I, I think. Uh, and as opposed to going to the producers. And it's tougher to figure out the producers now than it's ever been because of the fact the United States went from being the sixth biggest producer of oil to being the biggest, and they added about 250 companies who were producing oil to the list in that time. So th- this is much more difficult value, these kinds of stocks, because the technology for producing it... Do you know that the year that we had the crash, is as recently as this. What the, the standard book by the great writer of the oil industry wrote his usual one-decade book predicting what was going to happen to the oil industry. He devoted exactly one page to frackers in the United States. It wasn't important enough. And this is in 2008. So that that was a such a gigantic change so that naturally you would expect, therefore, that there would have been a downward revaluation in the standard companies who stopped them dug under the sea and so forth. So uh, if that, that thing is reaching it, then what you've got is these big companies who will continue to pay dividends, and you can ride them out uh, until the moment at which oil prices break out on the upside, and I believe they will. And then you can do some trading. But for the moment, remember that they're being driven down by two things. First of all, they're earning. But the other thing is that they are considered evil companies, and therefore they're being I mean, Norway doesn't even hold them in their portfolio. My gosh, I mean, this, this, is, this is something going back to the medieval uh, church in terms of uh, persecuting witches. And it was pretty bad if you if you were uh, in a, a witch's coven of 13 people because uh, you could all be burned at the stake. We are now carrying this over right into finance. And if you see that subordinating through finance, you've got to figure something's going to go wrong with that play. Don, you, you're a resident of uh, the state of Illinois, right? You're a Chicago resident, right? Yes. Are you, are you not a fan of muties? Uh, uh, the answer to that Don. is the, uh, I am a fan of muties of almost any state except Illinois, which has $165 billion in debt to its uh, uh, unions. And will go bankrupt uh, within ten years. Uh, that's a fact. So uh, yes, this is a case where you really have to do your research. But fortunately, there's no other state that's anywhere near as bad as Illinois. Nobody that I know, uh, any people in here, owns any Illinois bonds or Chicago bonds. None.
0: Don, why, why do you own real estate in Chicago?
1: Yes, because when we came here, we didn't think we we're going to be here for long. But we we had a reason. We were brought in to do this work for the bank, but then we, we have a multiple handicapped daughter, and it turns out there's a facility uh, just outside Chicago, which is better than anything we could get in Canada. so we, we put her in that. That's been the good thing. We're gonna, we may have to be forced to, as a result of Illinois finance, get out of it, but we don't uh, this uh, her needs were uh, uh, really important..
0: Yeah. Um... Well, Donald Cox, thank you for being with us on Current Yield. This has been very interesting, and I don't know about. Uh, I think Eric is is heartened because he's going to get, uh, if you are on the beam, which so often have been, uh, Eric's going to get the winner. Both he and I are pulling for, and uh, and our listeners are going to get a great uh, updraft in uh, the energy stocks. Is that right? Phil? Anything else? Any other benefits? I've I, I think uh, more study on the part of, uh, of, of our listeners into the, uh, the exact meaning of the word sunspot. I think that's also on the agenda. So, Donald, thank you. Listeners, thank you for being with us. I'm Jim Grant on behalf of Current Yield, and we will talk to you again soon.
1: Bye-bye.